Hello and welcome to Sensei Podcast. This is Manos Brilakis discussing with leaders in the field of CTO and Complex PCI. Sensei means teacher or master in Japanese. The goal of the Sensei Podcast is to help you learn and improve in CTO and Complex PCI so that you can become the best that you can be and offer your patients the best possible results. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sensei Podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce someone who doesn't need an introduction. Dr. Gerald Verlden is well-known to everyone in the field of CTO-PCI, being one of the fathers of the field. He started at the University of Göttingen, and then he went to the University of Vienna, and now he has been in Darmstadt. So, Gerald, thanks again so much for taking the time today to discuss with it's us. It's my pleasure, and uh, looking forward to your questions. Wonderful. So, Gerald, you literally started the field and you've been doing CTO forever and uh, even named the Werner Collateral Classification. Is it something that came organically? How did you get involved in the first place? Yeah, well, uh, I'm certain, certainly not the fathers, but maybe the first sons of uh, CTO PCI. But <laughs> when I started about 30 years ago, uh, there was no CTO-PCI. There were two wires. And I got interested in the, the phenomenon of a chronic total occlusion, more so than into the PCI of a, a chronic occlusion. So in the early days, uh, we started IVUS very early, I think almost 1990. And we looked for applications. And a chronic occlusion seemed to be for me, a very fascinating object. So we started there, and later on, uh, I, I took the opportunity to study the physiology because I wanted to understand how are how is the myocard subtended by collaterals, and that got me into the field of CTO PCI. And then how did you actually learn to do all the techniques and all the procedures and use a different equipment? Was it something you learned by trial and error? Did you have someone help you learn? How did you learn to all these techniques that you've been using? All these yeah, techniques? again, the situation is different then than today where you have all the information at your hand. It was pre-web. <laughs> it's when we still uh, submitted manuscripts uh, in a big packet, uh, so it's ancient. And at that time, really, it was, of course, my peers in the hospital who trained me in, C uh, in PCI, they did some CTO, PCI. And that is certainly a more a trial and error approach for more than 10 years because there was not a community and uh, wires, for example, the Asahi wires came to Germany only 20 years ago, even though they were on the market maybe for 25 years. And only in the early 2000s, I got in contact with the Japanese, and that really made a difference. And then... What did you find the most difficult thing to learn in terms of CTO? Is it the technique? Is it the wire manipulation? Is it the planning? What were the things that you found the most difficult to master and get good at? 
Well, as I, I went through the stages of CTO-PCI, uh, I think uh, everything was difficult in the beginning. Just imagine that uh, if you look at the old statistics, getting a balloon through was a feat, yeah? So we failed sometimes with balloons. Uh, so everything was difficult. But just a comparison at the beginning... 20 minutes of fluoro time and no, uh, no progress was kind of a, a marker that probably you should give up. Now, 20 minutes of fluoro time is just a fact that I record. But I know that there is progress and progress. And even though the average time is maybe only 30 minutes today or 35 minutes, but at that time, I knew 30 minutes... That's getting me nowhere. And when you do these cases, after all this practice, do you still plan uh, for a long time? How do you plan your procedures? Well, I have two stages. Um, we do mostly referrals. 80% of our patients are referred to us from other labs uh, in Germany. And then, of course, I get the CD or... Uh, transfer via the web and I, I study the case and consider the clinical data I'm presented to establish the indication. And then the patient comes maybe six weeks, eight weeks later. So usually I look at the case the evening before um, and kind of make a plan. But I don't go into one hour studying of an angel. And then um, when it comes to the procedure itself, with all the years of experience, do you now get stressed out about the cases? Are you fairly relaxed every case you do? I mean, you certainly seem to be fairly relaxed when you do the live cases um, in the transmissions. How do you handle the, um, the stress, potential stress of the cases? Well, there should be no stress uh, in a regularly running case because you have made your plan uh, you know your skill set. Uh, you know what you are expecting with this case. Sometimes you use um, MSCT for co-registration. All the tools are available. So stress comes when you have a complication, which is fortunately rare, but that is something which brings the pressure up in both the patient and <laughs> the patient sometimes down okay but my pressure and the team's pressure up but the, the occasional pericardial uh, drain that you have to put is also becoming routine even though that is a situation where i still feel stress because it's never a routine and then do you uh, get a uh, um when you have a complication, how do you handle it? Are you fairly quick with it? Does it uh, impact you? Um, are you able to overcome it? How do you deal with complications and potential failures, rare as they be, but they still happen? Well, um, you you mean well, we manage it, and you want to and you uh, address how psychologically I go to the next case or something like that. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it, if it's yeah. Impact, well, yeah. inside the case, 
you have to assess whether this complication should really stop the case, uh, which I try not to have it. Uh, because for me, my, uh, my motto or my theme is a cardiac surgeon who works on the open heart, if he cuts the wrong vessel or whatever, he has to manage and finish the case. When we as cardiologists cause a complication, if we can manage it, we should continue with the case because that's why the patient is there for. But afterwards, of course, we have to think why did the complication happen? Most times, I think, and that's also in the registries, if I recall correctly, uh, even the complex complications often happen in the uh, when you do the final stenting, calcium, and then you have your perforations. That's something that is hard to avoid, I think. But any other complication uh, regarding collateral access and maybe a dissection that would happen, hopefully not, uh, in the donor artery. These are things where you think and, and go through the case, what did I do wrong? And the worst thing is, if you are happy with the case, you put the patient off on the ward, and then you get a call, he has a tamponade. <laughs> and then you go back to the case, and after three hours of a case, you missed a tiny perf. And that is annoying, and that's what I train my people. And that's why we never send a patient back on the ward without an echo. So you can do an echo after every, every procedure or in case there is any, any concern, or just in case? For well, everyone. except a type A CTO where you just pass the wire. But any retrograde case, anything involving calcium, we do an echo. And you're right. There is no risk, and yeah. it's a minimal time, so that's a great safety margin. That's a great advice, actually, for people who do these procedures. Now, when it comes to radiation safety, I know that you've been one of the pioneers of this, and you've been instrumental in decreasing the doses over time, even just by tweaking the settings of the machine. How? When did this become important to you, and what is your current approach to radiation safety? Yeah, well, it it should be important to us uh, from the beginning. But, uh, of course, when we uh, got our current machine 12 years ago, uh, changing from a tube, an old Philips tube, to a digital system, uh, radiation in the beginning was uh, something that you had to consider because, really, there is the limits that you have to obey 5 gray, maximum 10 grays. At that time, it was possible that we really hit uh, these limits. And that was, of course, annoying. And the changes in, in just settings. I work still with the old machine of 12 years ago with some software tweaks. And now we never hit 2 gray with no patient weight, too gray, even at 100 minutes of fluid time, is never occurred in the last three years. So it's no issue anymore. 
Well, I think many people may not have the same settings because we still see occasionally people who go five or six or seven grays. So as you said, being aware and having the right settings on the X-ray system is something that can that can come a long way. You obviously published on this and uh, you've extensively described it. I, um, are there just uh, many, many of us are lucky to get the new systems, the new machines, but there are sim simple things that are correct with every machine. Use the lowest fluoro setting, use a reasonable low frame rate, but especially the fluoro setting uh, should be the minimum. And adjust your gantry if the image gets worse before you increase the setting. That's the basic rule. And I know some machines, it's easier to tweak than us. I think the Siemens, it's a little easier to make the, the changes than in the Philips, for example. But as you said, in most machines, you can really make those changes and change that. So people who watch this, you should contact your local X-ray machine manufacturer, and they can really be very helpful in making those tweaks on the machine. Um, do you do anything else like Rampart or the special seals or rat pad or some special um, equipment to reduce the radiation dose or otherwise... Uh, you just use the standard... Well, we have a, a lead cover. Instead of the rampart, we have a full... Uh, the lower part of a lead apron on the patient with uh, cut-out holes for the femoral approach if we use it. So this is an addition shield, additional shielding. Then we did some testing uh, with these smaller uh, lead plates that you could pu uh, can put beside the floor at uh, the lower body shield and uh, all the machines they allow to put another uh, kind of how you call it let shields along the table and we found out that these are very important even a small let piece of this put next to the movable uh, lower body lid in reduces the lead uh, the radiation to your body enormously. So use all the small things that you can have. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to teaching, so you've taught this in pretty much every continent, every place, every meeting. Um, can you can you tell if you see someone who is starting to do PCI if they're going to be good operator or not? Well, well, I think uh, if I'm not so quite sure that we should encourage our younger colleagues to start CTO in an early stage, uh, right after two or three years in their uh, interventional training, because you need a very solid basis uh, of all the other features, bifurcation. CTOs often end up in a bifurcation. So you need to be very solid in all these fields. And if you are capable of managing these complex uh, lesion types with wiring and all, then you certainly have the ability to tackle CTOs. But for CTO, I think the mindset, the patience is 
and, and to stay calm and know that the procedure will take time. That is something that is maybe not with everybody. And you can still be a good interventional operator, but you may not have the patience to, to continue when 30 minutes of floor time are over and the case is not done. How, how important is the manual skill? Is this a critical part of becoming good, having good hands? Well, I may have not very good hands, but uh, I've never got a feedback from any of my wires, or hardly ever. And I hear so much of tactile feedback, so uh, I'm not very uh, tactile. Uh, but... Yeah, of course, you you need to know how to turn the wire, but I think it's it's not magic. There are certainly magical operators out there. I wouldn't uh, rank myself as a magical operator, but I know the wires. I know what to do with the wires. I think it's we shouldn't mystify it. You need to know the wires you use, what you use them for, but it's teachable. I think it's not a birthright. Okay. And uh, um, in terms of the mindset, how do you teach that? How do you inspire someone or guide someone to develop the right mindset for doing these procedures in the best possible way? Well, I... I do a lot of workshops where people get in my cath lab, stand beside me or behind me, and if and they come to see CTOs. So if I see someone who is kind of getting tired after 50 minutes of fluoro time, then certainly he didn't, he will not be a CTO operator. But what the people need to see is that we, even if something takes a little bit time, we make progress. We have a plan. So we know this is the next step. Now we have to do this step. Even if step five takes 30 minutes instead of five minutes, we still are on a road to success most times. And if people understand this uh, plan that we have a structured approach then i think they are encouraged to spend time with the procedure yeah and this needs to be taught and that's how i learned i learned not by watching many life cases but i, I learned by watching continuous life cases a life case as transmitted at cct in the original days, was Kato starting at 8 o'clock in the morning with one case. And the case continued until it was finished. Yeah, The panel changed maybe three times. But <laughs> the case... So you as a uh, spectator, you saw how much time it can take and what is the uh, kind of the reward for the operator and the patient. 
So patience is a key component for doing CTO PCI. Apart from that, what is the best way to learn? Is it by first looking at the book and then trying to do the cases with a proctor? Is it start to do them first and get the background? What is the best way to actually today, given the new resources that we have, what do you think is the best way for someone to learn? Well, I think uh, we have uh, very good uh, web resources. I think you are one of the main persons who is really providing a lot of these teachings and and teaching opportunities. And then uh, aside from uh, watching cases on the web, I think uh, it is to try to find live cases or live uh, um, procedures which are really not cut from one to the other. Yeah, of course, it's interesting and, and important for some meetings to have 30 minutes there, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes there. But that is not teaching the procedure for a beginner. So I think uh, one should go and maybe uh, go to a, a workshop, like we provide workshops, where you really see the procedure from start to beginning. So I would think these on-site small group workshops together with the web resources and, of course, whatever live cases you can grab by, uh, from meetings is a healthy way to start. You shouldn't, you can do a type A uh, CTO, of course, at home. But before you go into more complex cases, you should have seen them uh, and also see some complications so you don't, need to do the complications on your own. Great. And uh, when it comes to uh, the part where you're really experienced, like yourself, very experienced, have you done all these cases, all these techniques? Do you reach the point where you say, look, I've learned what there is to learn, we are there? Or are you still finding things that are new or different that you can learn at this point? Well, um if you think you have reached the point of perfection, then it's certainly time to stop because there cannot be perfection. I always started uh, with the goal to have a success rate of 110%. We are well below that. Even if we are at 94 right away or this year until today. So January was a, uh, perfect months, no failures, but there will be failures. And uh, we, what uh, is different maybe to 10 years ago, we have a level of uh, technology available that really makes it difficult for new technology to really prove to be a difference. Uh, I was involved in the early days of Stingray. I was involved uh, in a tool that was called SafeCross. I don't know whether you recall, yeah, with uh, radio frequency, light emission, and trying to find the way. That was at times when we didn't have wires like the XT type, the Gaia type. And so the tool set, the toolbox is getting perfect, but we still have 
lesions that are sometimes not to be conquered and above all it's calcium. So what we need and maybe will come with lithoplasty tools like that, we need to deal with calcium. That's the last, really the last uh, uh, frontier, I think, within CTOs. So, Gerald, you have done so many things. What is the things that you're most proud of? Well, I, I'm still proud of uh, that uh, studies in the collaterals uh, because that was a little bit crazy at that time. Uh, CTO PCI in the early 2000, we did these studies between 1999 and 2005, uh, was very difficult to perform. And then to have a team that once you get through the CTO, start doing FFR measurements, uh, Doppler wire measurements, uh, protocols with adenosine, and uh, really creating data that was uh, not there before. Uh, that was uh, very satisfying, and uh, I think that... And, of course, it's a little bit... Uh, I smile a little bit if, if the CC co uh, connection grade is called Werner grade, but that's uh, only after I retire, maybe <laughs> it will is be established. <laughs> but there is a, fun, no, it there is well is a funny coincidence because the Rentrop grade is actually by uh, Peter Rentrop, who came from the same university where I started at the University of Göttingen where he started the thrombolysis uh, projects, uh, the thrombolysis in, uh, project in myocardial infarction. So there, I've never met him, uh, but I came when this group went away. So, and now we have kind of a small connection describing chronic occlusions with the Rentrop or the CC grade. Well, it is a small world. And obviously, apart from that, you have been able to create some of the best data in terms of randomized clinical data with the EuroCTO trial, which I know took a lot of time and, and effort. How, how did this process go and um, how hard was it? And do you think similar things are going to happen in the future? Well, uh, yeah, you, you are, of course, uh, knowing you know more about all the trials that's going on in this field then I'm maybe no longer up to date there but uh, we just finished the three-year uh, manuscript on the EuroCTO trial and of course we deal with small numbers but the frustrating thing is that uh, despite having small numbers uh, the primary endpoint of efficacy was clearly met and uh, that this trial is still belittled because it didn't reach the, the goal of 1,200 patients in the early idea. And we ended up with 400. But we came up with a clear 90% uh, power uh, of the endpoint. And in the guidelines in US, it's still written that there is no clear evidence that CTO-PCI is superior to OMT for symptomatic 
treatment of CTOs, which is not correct. They put the decision CTO against, and that is getting me hypertensive, because you know as well as anybody, decision CTO did not test the same uh, group of patients. And uh, that's frustrating that in guidelines, the EuroCTO trial failed. And I hope that ischemia CTO, which is done in Northern Europe, I think, and I heard from Ewald Christiansen, the PI, that they hope to finish in 2024, may support the EuroCTO data. We, we need data to keep CTO PCI alive. No, absolutely. And again, you've been critical on this. There are some more efforts, but it is very hard to do this trial. So, uh, again, congratulations for creating that data because that's probably the most robust data we have from EuroCTO, the study you did on the effect of CTO on quality of life. But you've been very busy on the clinical side, the research side. How do you keep your energy and your... Uh, excitement and your your spirits are there some things that you do that keep you in good shape to do this uh, all this work well i i don't have extensive hobbies i'm not out on golf courses or <laughs> like many japanese operators but uh, uh well i'm i'm happy i still uh, am happy when the patient tells me the next day he can climb the stairs much better than the day before. You, you create an immediate benefit to the patient. And my wife is very supportive of all my idea, uh, yeah, travels associate, uh, along with CTO, PCI, traveling around, which makes uh, gives some benefit because you are happy to teach and talk about this issue. And otherwise, well... If I wouldn't talk with you, I would probably spend half an hour in, on the exercise uh, <laughs> treadmill or so. That keeps me going, but nothing more. Perfect. Well, sorry to destroy your exercise for the day, but it will help many other people, I think, down the line. Um, and then, do you have any favorite uh, movies or any favorite books that you read? Uh, favorite movie, there is Notting Hill. <laughs> seen it 25 times or more and um, because it's a wonderful combination of music and and the uh, and the script but i don't know whether you even know notting hill heard of it no i haven't watched it but yeah. i'm aware of it <laughs> books well i read uh, every book that i re i read a lot of mystery thrillers so I read Jack Reacher, I, I read the Pendergast novels. I, don't, I spend a lot of n nonsense time. Uh, there is not a favorite book, but many of them uh, that keep me away from the cath lab. Sounds perfect. And then um, from... Uh, the things that you do now, what is the most exciting thing for you? What do you look most forward to? Well, I think it's always, not always, but the next case tomorrow, two cases on the program tomorrow. Uh, I look forward to 
hopefully do a good job for the patients. And uh, then I have now just got my second grandchild, uh, one month old. So I, I look forward to meeting the granddaughter and the grandson. And yeah, don't look forward to retirement. I'm not sure what I do in two and a half years or so when it comes. So after being working at uh, such a fast, intense pace, it must be pretty um, boring, I guess, not being able to do uh, the things that you are doing currently. Um, but um, what, what, what do you think has been the secret for you being so active and be able to perform at a high level in these very complex procedures to now and to the future? Well, I, I was lucky to get into the, uh, to meet uh, Hideo Tamae. I think uh, he was uh, the person who brought me into Japan, uh, where I met then Kato, Suzuki, and the other uh, great operators. So that was kind of my lucky strike that uh, it was, and that Kato, of course, had read about the CC classification and uh, realized that he could use this information for his purpose. So that was kind of the lucky strike that got me there and got me go going. And then, yeah, the field was expanding. Yeah, there was continuous, there was not a stagnation. So a continuous development, getting better from 70% success rate to above 90. That was what kept me going and keeps me still going. Do you think for the new generation, it's different now since the field has reached uh, much more of maturity, so the potential for further improvement is less now? No, well, I, I don't think it's uh, any easier. It's easier to start and get the information. You start with a almost perfect toolbox nowadays, of course, but the toolbox needs to be kind of... Uh, uh, you need to have a, a, a grasp of the toolbox. It's difficult <laughs> to learn all the wires. You need to have still the volume to be available, uh, to be uh, aware what the difference between a Gaia 3 and a Gaia 1 or a, an ultimate pros, a warrior, whatever, is there, what kind of microcatheter you should prefer. So it's still... Um, Operators need volumes, and I think uh, if you are reaching this level, it's not easy. Each case needs to be conquered. A CTO needs to be conquered, and so that keeps, I think, a challenge for the future generation as well. Because the, if you do an easy lesion, a 99% success rate is a given. A CTO you can fail if you don't do it correctly. And I have noticed, you know, the presentations you've done on the meetings, you're always one of the most articulate speakers, always have a very good way of breaking things down in a very systematic, organized way. Was that the result of doing CTOPCI that 
preceded CTOPCI? How did you develop that skill? And what do you think is the way to become so well, well thought of and articulate? Well, that's not... Uh, I'm not in, <laughs> in a position to, to, uh, to comment on that because I'm not aware whether this is really... Or I'm not sure whether this is a really a re- right perception that you have. But I'm well aware that I'm outspoken in that sense that I often say my mind, which <laughs> is sometimes problematic. I'm not the greatest diplomat. My wife tells me that every other day uh, because I'm outspoken. If I think one uh, technique, one approach is is not, as I would think, is ideal, then I say it. And But otherwise, whether I give structured talks that might be the experience of uh, being in the academic circle for more than 30 years, simply. And then uh, in terms of your... Uh, um, uh, Career. Let's say you had the chance to do it all over again. You were starting again, fresh, and you had the opportunity to start again. Would you have chosen still CTO or complex PCI, given what you know now, or might you have done something no. different? No. <laughs> I'm very happy uh, with how it worked out. And, uh, of course, many chance influences uh, were there. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think we have a good a good field. Sure. I mean, okay, you clearly build that field from the early stages and one of the key forces are making it where it is today. So for people who come to you and say, look, I want to learn to do this. I'm very excited. I want to learn this. What would be your few pieces of advice? What would be the best way to achieve that goal? Um, well, first, establish a good basic knowledge of PCI, of complex PCI, of wire manipulation. Uh, Challenge yourself whether you will be patient uh, if a case drags on. Well, that's always what we are asked. How can you go into a case that is maybe four hours? Well, in real life on statistics, the median... uh, Fluoro time is, I think, 30, 35 minutes, not more. But of course, we won't, we shouldn't give up if there is a good progress in a long case. So the operators need to accept they take a long time. And then I think we talked already about that. Go to the web resources, go to meetings, look at cases and... Um, and go to uh, workshops, and then the ideal thing would be to get proctors, uh, which is not so easy in Germany. It might be easier in U.S. because here uh, proctoring is well. I cannot proctor because I have too much work. Uh, but you may find colleagues in your neighborhood where you maybe interact, do cases together. I always invite uh, people who have failed cases to come with their patients, and then we do them together. So, But I think within two, uh, two years, three years, you should be able to really be 
already a very good above average operator. Wonderful. Well, Gerald, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for everything you've done for the field. Again, a lot of learning, a lot of development, and uh, clinically and on the research side as well. And um, uh, we look forward to continuing work with you in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and spending so much time here uh, about uh, giving me the chance to talk about what I think about CTOs. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Sensei Podcast.